welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. Welcome back to the podcast after an extended break. August and early September um, are often a whirlwind in my position and extension in general, fairs and all the things. Uh, back to school, as many of you probably have dealt with with your kids. But I digress. We're back here on the Extension Experience Podcast with a great set of fall episodes. The first is a very timely topic for all beef producers, preconditioning. This can look different from one, op- from one operation to the next. But I've invited Dr. Kelly Raper to join me this week to talk about the preconditioning program that we really promote um, from Oklahoma State University and and some of the the management factors that we'll talk about. Dr. Kelly Curry Raper is a professor in the Department of Ag Economics and Extension Specialist for Livestock Marketing. She is the lady behind the preconditioning numbers for our Oklahoma Quality Beef Network program. She also is a coordinator of our Master Cattlemen program. I call you the coordinator, Kelly. (laughs) Um, and she's been on the podcast before to discuss, um, master cattlemen, but we have got her here to talk about Oklahoma quality beef network, but also some of the data that they collect. And I think it's kind of cool to look at those numbers, um, behind the scenes. So Kelly, thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, and how you came to OSU. So I'm a Southwest Oklahoma girl. I grew up in Sterling down in Comanche County. Came to OSU for a bachelor's and a master's, went down to Aggieland and College oh, Station, Texas for a PhD and uh, spent some time on the faculty at Michigan State. And then livestock position came up at OSU and I said, it seems like a good time to go home. So so here I am back doing lots of things that I love and get to be kind of home to do it. So it's nice. Yes. And we are certainly glad to have you. We've done a lot of things over the years since I've really been on. So has it been 2010? Was that about, about the time you came back? Um, I came back in 07. Oh, 07. Sort of yeah, like 07. Okay. Mm-hmm. But 2010, okay. we kind of relaunched the way that we collected data for OQBN. We took it from clipboards and paper and pencil and three to four people each tracking a certain set of things at the sale and yeah. matching them up later to doing it all in a spreadsheet where we can do it a lot more quickly uh, because of the way the spreadsheet is set up. And so we, we kind of, start, a lot of our data starts at 2010 okay. because we did such a massive effort at revitalizing how we did it that year. And we collected a lot more sales that year because we uh, we did not only the OQBN sales that year, but we also did at any site that had an OQBN sale, we collected data there the week before oh. and the week after. And so oh. 2010, you'll see several publications that are from that 2010 data because it's a little different data set than the ones that we then have collected since. Cool. Um, we do so- still try to get there and collect, you know, at least an hour's worth of data before the OQBN sale starts. And then we stay and capture lots coming through for at least an hour or so after. So we get those lots to compare to. So we still do that. But 2010, we also did just sale days that were not special sales. Yeah. So listeners, there's a great, a huge set of of data analysis that you get if you sell at some of our OQBN sales um, across the state. You're not required to do that. But as you can hear, there's like a lot of data collected to kind of identify what sort of premiums are being provided for specific management uh, requirements of programs of preconditioning, but also just in general, 
overall. And so we're going to talk about that today. For those of you who aren't familiar with the program, I'll just give a little synopsis. Is that okay, Kelly? If we give a little synopsis here, the program, Um, the Oklahoma Quality Beef Network is a joint project of the Oklahoma Cooperative Extension Service and the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. So OCA helps fund the program, um, has provided some monies in the past to get us kind of going with tag sales and that sort of thing. So we really appreciate their partnership in that. OQBN is a network of beef producers, extension educators, veterinarians, and industry professionals across the state. So we we meet um, and we we can reevaluate the program and we we take insight from from those peoples across the state to keep that program really relevant. And these people are committed to increasing producers' access to value-added marketing opportunities. That's what that is, so that we can improve the quality of cattle produced in Oklahoma. Within the OQBN program, it's it's our VAC 45 program. I mean, that we used to have uh, several different ones, Kelly, right? But we, we, you know, VAC 45 is kind of our focus. It mm-hmm. means we vaccinate the calves. Two base rounds of, of vaccines, respiratory, black leg, and um, pasturella shipping fever pneumonia vaccines paired with being weaned for 45 days. The calves are required to be castrated, dehorned, and healed bunk broke. We like them to know what feed is, lots of things, lots of management factors that go along with this. And then finally, which is our flagship part of our program is that OQBN is third party verified by some extension educators to verify that management has been done. And so that's really, I think, a really important part of that is that we're working closely with producers to make those decisions, help make them make decisions that really benefit their operation. Calves enrolled in this program receive a program ear tag, which is the only cost of the program. They're $2.50. And then the cattle owners have um, the opportunity or the option to sell them at one of our sales throughout the throughout the year, but you don't have to. We have a number of cattle every year that are sold outside of our kind of sales system. And we'll have a list of the sales there at the end of the podcast. But But the highlight of that selling in our sales is like what Kelly talked about is we... We, sometimes I help you, we sit there and we take, we collect data. And when I mean collect data, there is a lot of stuff we collect and we won't even talk about some of it today. So let's move right into that, Kelly. Told us a little bit about it already. The data collection, the program you use to collect data at livestock markets throughout the state. So so before I get too far into that, I I need to acknowledge um, Eric DeVeese, Dr. Eric DeVeese in AgEcon department. He is the one who helped us actually physically develop the spreadsheet. So he did the programming behind this spreadsheet that we use um, to collect the data. And so much of it, if it's a yes, no, are they castrated or not? Are they weaned or not? Are they... He's structured that so it's point and click so we can collect that data effectively and quickly. Um, And so that's been a huge huge help in allowing us to collect the details in the data that the ag marketing service uh, doesn't collect in their data. Um, and so we do collect all those things like hide color. And, you know, now we've started collecting days weaned so we can learn some things from that um, instead of just weaned or not. It's like weaned and it was this long. And so I want to acknowledge him because his work has made it possible um, for us to collect that detail of, of data and do it much more effectively with only a couple of people as opposed to four people with clipboards in and <laughs> matching up lot sizes later. Um, and so so it's been great. Um, and then I also want to acknowledge um, Dr. Daryl Peel because he 
he and I do the bulk of the data collection. Um, and then I typically end up doing the analysis. So I'm, I, I help with the collection as well, but, but he and I are equal partners in that. And then we pull in people like Dana and Marty new and, <laughs> yeah. and Brian Frecking to say, can you help us with these sales, please? Right. But that in general is the process, you know, like I said, we get there a little bit early. We try to collect data before and after. That's what gives us something to compare our OKB and calves to. And then we spit out a data summary at the end of yeah. every sale. Not while we're still sitting in the sale. We do have to get back to the office. Yeah. To do that part. <laughs> That's um, not that automatic, right? It's not, not that automatic. automatic. But I had a graduate student who programmed that process for us a few oh, years cool. ago. And we are still using that part of his thesis because it allows us to pull the data into that template and we get a summary that looks a lot like an AMS summary in terms of the data that it provides. It's going to give you, you know, the weight ranges within a certain weight class and an average weight and then the weight, the the price ranges for that class. And then it's going to compare the thing we do differently is we pull out uh, OQB and calves separately. We pull out the non-preconditioned calves separately. We'll have a category for long weed. Um, so, but but we spit that report out and then we send it out to extension educators and then it flows on down to the producers involved in the program and the the sale barns, livestock auctions involved in the program. And so I, th- I think that's just a nice way to give not quite immediate, but almost immediate feedback yeah. as to how those calves did relative to other calves at that particular sale that day. Yeah, it's really neat. I would have to say, I I, I learned how to do this data collection a couple of years ago when they were doing kind of an expanded um, data collection um, beyond OQBN. And um, it is kind of like an adrenaline rush, to be honest. I mean, in a livestock market, it can be like that, but you really are moving fast. You're having to move as fast as they do through the ring. And, you know, the more efficient livestock markets, they really keep you on your toes. There's no like sitting there eating a hamburger and collecting this data. It is a computer program. It's kind of a really fancy Excel document that got to really stay stay with it. And I, I've always enjoyed it. I do like the, the glances from the crowd. Like, what are they doing down there? Like collecting that. They don't even know what we're doing, but we don't have a computer in here. Who are those? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have to sit pretty close to like, you know, make sure that we see everything, but it is, uh, it is fun. I do enjoy it. I kind of, we do it. occasionally have to clean the laptop. After. Yeah. After a sale. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's some necklace. <laughs> there's some sand or, you know, yeah. mud flinging around in there sometimes when it's going pretty fast. But uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good, um, really good learning experience for me. So with this, you pull out all those premiums like you're talking about, Kelly. So let's just talk about like the first overall. So preconditioning versus not. Let's look, let's talk about that. So if we look at uh, uh, 2011, through 2022, the average premium, and this is across all weight groups um, and steers and heifers. So if we take that premium at those individual sales and then average it across all those groups and and across those sales, the average premium in 2022 was $18.67 a hundredweight. Obviously, when you when if you look at individual weights, we'll talk about that in a minute. It tends to be higher for the the lighter weight calves um, than than the heavier weight calves in a per hundred weight sense. Uh, the uh, lowest premium year in that from 2011 to 2022 was $8.35. And that was in 2020. Everything was wonky in 2020. Yeah. What a weird year. Um, and then and then the highest year was actually 2014 uh, when it was $19.35. Um, that's the highest per hundred weight average premium that we've had in the program. Um, and that 
you know, was a different kind of year like we might be heading into. And I don't know, Dana, if you want me to Yeah, go ahead and talk about that. Yeah, please. This is a great point. I mean, I think that that's important to, to note that. Okay. So if you remember 2014, you know, we were in drought, we were coming out of drought with numbers were low, prices were were high, uh, kind of like we may see this year, those prices are climbing and continue to climb. We were looking at the program and thinking, oh, we may not have very many OQB and calves because producers may be tempted to sell them without the preconditioning because prices are so high. And if we do have OQB and calves, are we going to have buyers willing to pay that premium because prices are so high? As it turned out, we had decent numbers of OQB and calves uh, because those producers saw the value in preconditioning for those calves and their health on through the system. And as it turns out, buyers, if you're going to pay a lot for a calf, paying that OQB and premium as insurance that that calf is less likely to get sick and die. Um, and so we we saw really high premiums that year. I'm not saying that's exactly what we'll see this year, but we had some of the same concerns in 2014 that some might have this year uh, because of cattle numbers and because of really high prices. But as a buyer, if I can increase the probability that that calf is going to live and be healthy and eat and and gain well until I'm ready to to send it to the next place in the supply chain, I'm going to pay a little more for that because I've already paid more for the calf, right? I don't have a choice. I mean, I don't have that much of a choice in what I'm paying for the calf. I'm going to pay a little bit more kind of as an insurance policy to lessen the risk that that, that calf dies. Absolutely. Yeah. We were just talking about that. We just don't know what, what we will see in the coming year, but we do know by doing some of these management practices, you have a better, a better idea of knowing what those calves will do. Of course, mm-hmm. vaccines are not a hundred percent effective. You know, it's biology people, but yeah. uh, you know, we're out in the environment, like we can't, you know, control the the weather, but it really does help those calves along the way. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm glad you added that in Kelly, very important and relevant thing to talk about. So so the overall premium, so, you know, people think about this, you said last year was around $18 and 67 cents. Is that what you said? Is that, mm-hmm. um, yes. And so that's overall. And so now let's talk about maybe steers versus heifers. What do we see from those preconditioned animals? What's the difference there? So it, it tends to be a little bit different every year, but generally speaking, particularly in those lighter weight classes, uh, the steer premiums tend to be a little higher um, than the heifers, but the heifers are still bringing decent premiums. Um, So last year, because of those four weight premiums and the dead heat in the five weights, um, heifers actually brought slightly more than steers last year, but it was $19 versus $18 and a quarter. Um, Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, you would think that it was just like cut and dried every year, but it can be kind of wonky, especially when we get up into those larger weight classes. I always mm -hmm. tell producers that this, this program is really is, is focused on those lighter calves, the, you know, six weight and under, right. Would you agree, Kelly? I mean, we have better data for a lot of those weight classes. um, Yeah. yeah, Toward the ends, we don't have as many calves. One, we don't have as many OPVN calves in those weight categories. Two, we don't have as many to compare them to. Right. Um, that, yeah. That reconditioning. But in the middle, what's interesting, and I, I just, I know you guys can't see this, but I just pulled up a slide that has uh, the past five years, uh, average premiums by weight group for heifers. It's all over the place. Right. Um, because some years there's a higher demand for replacement heifers 
And that tends to show up in our OQBM data as typically as higher premiums for those eight weight and sometimes the seven weight heifers. Um, and so in some years that demand is not as high for replacements. We've been eating a lot of heifers lately. And so when you when you look at those numbers, then then those heifer premiums fall off a little bit when there's not as big of a demand for replacement heifers. That's my unscientific analysis just from looking at the graphs. Um, the thing we can't really flesh out is how many of those are replacement heifers versus how many are not. We try to note that in the data, but it's just not always clear. A lot of heifers comes through in those heavier weights. It's not clear if they're being purchased as replacements or not. But we're not we going to that do, buyer and asking, hey, what do you intend to use these for? I mean, that would be awesome, yeah. right? <laughs> It'd be so nice if I could read their minds, but, it's, yeah. but we don't know. Um, <laughs> but what we can do is look at market conditions you know, over time. And now we've got a, a, a long enough time span in the data that I think we can start to look at some of those things. So what about castration, Kelly? This is the big thing. We still see lots of uncastrated um, animals go through the the sale barns, bulls. We see bulls, young bulls, little bulls, big bulls. We see a lot of that. And so we've got some really, we've got a really good data set on that. So tell us a little bit about the story of bulls versus steers. We do. So the story of bulls versus steers, some seasons we actually have a few more bulls than the already ones that we have that we would prefer to be steers. For example, 21, when we had the stretch of three or four weeks where we didn't get above freezing. Yes, like 2021, mid- I think February so. to mid-March or so, it was in that range. Yeah. We saw a lot more bull, we saw a lot, lot more lots coming through the sale that year. We just happened to notice it as we're collecting. And then we looked at the numbers and it, it you know, it, it turned out that way. That happened to be a time when a lot of producers were calving and rather than put that stress on those calves, they didn't castrate those bull calves. And a lot of them ended up coming to market as bull calves as well. And so it just sort of that, it interrupted the management flow. And then a lot of them then never got castrated. Um, and I felt like that was also the summer we had a muddy summer. And so even heavier, they just they just never castrated those calves. So our numbers in general have been between $6 and $12 a hundredweight discount for bulls versus uh, steer calves. And that is for the whole lot. But I did have um, one of my students just recently took OQBN data, as well as uh, the data that Dana was talking about. She's helped us collect. Um, Dr. Peel and I had a a project with uh, Ag Marketing Service to collect some extra data uh, in 2021 and 2022. And so we took all of that data uh, the AMS data that was from Oklahoma auctions, and then also uh, the OQBN data. And we combined that data. He's specifically interested in the impact of the weaning length on premiums. But he also looked at vaccination and castration and, and horns. Um, and the thing that he found with castration was that that discount in that data set for 2021 and 2022 in Oklahoma was $11.87 a weight discount for lots with bulls in them. So that's, you know, for a five weight calf, that's like 60 bucks a head. That's a lot. So it's not insignificant. So yeah, we were talking about premiums. Now we're talking about discount. Yes, that one's a discount. The other one that's a discount is horns. Um, So if we look at those lots that come through and we have some sort of percentages set 
uh, you know, if, if the lot has this percent of animals with horns in it, then we call it horned. But if those lots come through with, with more than that in terms of animals with horns, the discount per hundredweight is $7.42. And so this is our most recent estimate of, of those discounts. And it's Oklahoma data. So it's not nationwide or another region. It's ours. That's that's what's happening in the cell barns. What about, so we've talked a little bit about lot size, Kelly. Let's have a little conversation about um, lot size. This is real reality for producers. We have lots of small producers in the state, you know, with under 25 cows. And so if we think about that, if you have 25, 25 mother cows and you have 25 calves, 100% calf crop, mm-hmm. typically we have 50% steers and 50% bulls or 50, excuse me, <laughs> steers and heifers. We're going to assume that you've taken care of the, the, the bulls, <laughs> steers and heifers. Okay. We're sending them to the sale that way. And then, you know, that's divided in half. So 13 and 12, if we do our mm-hmm. math here, mm-hmm. and then... If they're all the same weight, that's how you divide them up. But if you have several different weight classes there, you could divide them into four groups, six groups, and you might have two or three calves in a group. And that that lot size really impacts the price that you're going to get. So there's a premium for having a larger lot size. Yes. And we see that in OQBN. Yes. Yes. So, so from a, a premium perspective, you know, if you can, even as a small producer, if you can manage to put together uh, even, well, well, let's let's just say five, we'll start with five. Okay. Um, but but the, the lot size premium starts at anything more than one, honestly. But if you can get that lot size to five, the premium per calf is about $5 a hundredweight. So oh, we're selling one calf okay. as the lot. Yes. So five calves in a lot, Versus one calf in a lot is $5 a hundredweight premium per calf in that lot. It's again, not, not insignificant. Um, and let's say you're like, well, five is going to be tough. I, they, you know, they need to be uniform. It can't be five calves that are, here's a 650 and here's a, a 350 or here's a, it, they need to be uniform um, lots to capture that premium as well. But then even moving from five to 10 head. So at 10 head versus one, that lot size premium is about eight bucks. Um, And that continues to go up. The jumps are not quite as large, but it continues to go up all the way out to to 60, 75, Uh, which if you think about that, it makes sense that those heavier, those higher um, numbers in a lot make it a lot easier for a buyer to come and fill a truckload, trailer load. And, if, and that's that's part of the reason for the lot size premium. One, they can see these calves. It's a bigger group. They were managed the same. However, they were managed. They were managed the same. They can fill their truck with fewer lots if those lots are bigger. So that's that's part of the incentive. But you don't have to have a lot size of 75 to capture some of that lot size premium. Um, and so if you're a smaller producer... And you've got 25 cows, you may be saying, I'm never going to hit that, you know, those bigger lot sizes to be able to capture that. But honestly, if you can narrow your calving season enough to sell even five head as a group that are uniform, you can start to capture that lot size premium. And if you manage that calving season tightly enough, you might even be able to get a couple of lots of 10 head mm-hmm. and then sell the offs. Yeah, that don't, don't fit in that weight group. Sears and heifers, right? 
you know, maybe one year it's 10, 10 steers with three offs and 10 heifers with two offs. And the next year it's 10 steers with two offs and 10 heifers with three offs Yeah, mm-hmm. for, you know, equity stuff, but <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it is, but even smaller producers can do some things management wise to start to capture some of that lot size premium. So that, that's the big point here is, is yeah. you, can, you can manage some things a little differently to be able to try to capture that. Every county extension office should be familiar with the, with the program, should have some information, can direct you to the website, but you can call any of us. We're all available to talk about OQB and Kelly. I'm sure she would talk. I would be happy. I'm, I'm currently working with several producers right now, but we have sales this fall um, in the following livestock markets, OKC West and El Reno, Southern Plains Livestock and Blackwell, McAllister Stockyards, Payne County Stockyards, LaFleur County, um, and LaFleur County Livestock in Worcester. And we will have a link to all the dates of those sales. But basically from starting our first sale in El Reno in November 7th, we have about a sale every week through mid-December. And then we have several others sprinkled after mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, and pretty okay, much somewhere in the have- state. Yeah. Yes. And OKC, OKC West will have a January sale, um, as does McAllister. And uh, I wasn't at the McAllister sale last spring, um, but the January sale at OKC West was, there were quite a few value added cabs there. Yeah. Yeah. Some producers like to hold them over the first of the year and mm-hmm. we, it doesn't matter to us when you want to sell them. Um, we, we collect data at all those sales. And then, of course, producers are welcome to sell at other um Livestock markets, we have several that sell at uh, stockyards and um, a variety of places. But thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on and talking through the data. And if you need the numbers, if producers are interested in the numbers, we'd be happy to provide those. We have several um, OQBN publications and things we can get them to, to you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And I would say, you know, we do those sell summaries. Um, we have those. So if you're interested in a particular sale from last year or something or the year before, um, you know, you could con- contact uh, me or Paul Vining and we can get those to you. Yes, absolutely. So Paul Vining is our OQBN coordinator uh, and he takes lots of calls um, and he he's, uh, sends the tags out from his office. And so I'll have the link to his information on the website as well um, on the on the show notes. So listeners will have links to all this information we discussed today. Thank you for joining me on the podcast this week. And I look forward to speaking with you all next time. <laughs>